0: Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before we get to an awesome podcast with Ryan Shanning Procrasso of SPZ Legal, I want to give a quick shout out to cruisetax.com. We are rolling through the tax returns and rolling through the R&D tax credits. So if you are a startup and haven't done your taxes yet for 2017, now's the time. Go to cruisetax.com, sign up. We'll do your R&D tax credit. We'll do your federal and state income tax. All very nice and easy in our very simple uh, it's kind of like TurboTax for startups is, is how people describe it to us. So it's very exciting. Check out com, and now to an awesome podcast with Ryan. Thanks. Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And my very special guest is Ryan Shaning Procrasso of SPZ Legal. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, Scott. How you doing? So we were joking before we turned on the mic that you are two of those letters in SPZ legal. That's which, right. Which ones are
1: you? I'm S&P. You know, it's the advantage of having a hyphenated name. It never fit on a Scantron when I was in school, but I get two letters in the names of the, of the company. So I'm good. Your, your partner probably lies a bit in bed and awake every night wondering <laughs> how like maybe
0: they need to hyphenate their name or get married again or something. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure it keeps them up a lot. So we've been friends for a long time. We've actually worked together. Uh, you've done some legal work for Cruise Consulting. I think were we
1: introduced by Adam Sterling at Berkeley. Yeah, that's right. hmm Okay. So Adam's maybe, a good maybe friend like of ours. Maybe like in 2015 yep. or something like that. Maybe even earlier. 2014. Maybe you can kind
0: of tell the audience about your background and how you ended up starting your own firm.
1: Yeah, sounds good. So my, my route to the law was a little different than most lawyers. I think a lot of lawyers uh, know that they want to be lawyers when they're like 10. I, uh, I wanted to be in the NBA, that wasn't happening, because I didn't get tall enough. Um, I do have a jumper, but I, you know, not tall enough. So I actually went to undergrad in Santa Cruz, and I studied biology. And after that, I was doing some field biology work, which eventually led me to policy work around environmental topics, so climate change solutions and things like that. I, I promised this leads somewhere. Uh, from there... I um, led an internship for a summer where we went around the state of New Mexico, where I'm from, organizing with the business community to understand what the priorities were for business uh, for businesses in New Mexico around environmental issues, and really got good exposure to business through that. Then at one point, uh, my boss suggested that I go off to law school to get some good tools, and so I did so, and remained really interested in the business community, and specifically the idea that business can be a major driver for uh, change in society and so our law practice is really focused on working with entrepreneurs who want to use business as a tool for social change or environmental impact um, we work with you know a wide range of both for-profit and non-profit companies i'd say the vast majority are for-profit and the vast majority are tech companies, but they tend to have more of a bent towards uh, social impact or environmental impact. And it's, it's really been a, a fun journey for us. And um, basically, we started the firm. It was me and my partner, Hash Ahead, And we were both coming out of a, a fellowship after law school, separate fellowships, and both kind of looking for work. And I texted him and said, hey, why don't we just start our own practice? And he, by text, said, yeah, that sounds good uh and then we met at a at a Panera bread in Richmond <laughs> and you know chatted about the goals for it and what the vision looked like and here we are that's amazing. I love
0: the founder stories. That's very exciting. So, yeah. so you guys were just like, hey, no, one, no one's hiring us. We better just start our own firm.
1: Well, we both had opportunities. I'm joking, available. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it was kind of that stage. And it was like, I, you know, I actually talked to, to a very wise person, my mother, who started her own business. And she said, you know, when, when I talk to a lot of people about starting my own firm, especially lawyers, they're so risk averse. They're like, that's just so risky. Why would you do that? It's so risky. And my mom really put it in perspective. She said, you know, if it doesn't work out, then you just have to find a job, which is where you're at now anyway. And it was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's right. And I'll get insurance in case anything messes up. And that's great. And... (laughs) Thankfully, we haven't had to dip into our insurance, and we're and we and I haven't had to find a job either. So it's, it's going oh, well. That's yeah. Awesome. Now,
0: how long, how long has SPZ Legal been going?
1: We originally started under a different name in October of twenty fourteen, and then eventually shifted names to SPZ. I believe at the beginning of twenty sixteen. So we've we've been going on under the firm since twenty fourteen basically. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you
0: guys, because then we got introduced like in the early days of your practice, because I think yeah. you got introduced like in early two thousand and fifteen, right? right? Yeah, January, that's Minnesota. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you put on a good facade. You, sen- you seem you seemed like so professional, you knew every- you knew how to do everything. So I was like, this guy really knows his stuff. <laughs> I thought you had like ten years experience. That's well, it, that's a little bit of it too. You got to fake it before you make it. That's you know? it.
1: That's it. You know, and it's like, I mean, the thing is in the legal industry, to be a good lawyer, you just have to be a good listener and be able to look things up and then communicate you know and and obviously there's areas of just knowing what to look up in different situations but I mean that's what lawyering is is just being able to listen and hear your clients goals and then come up with solutions and communicate that's really cool I love that you distilled that really well so and you said you work on like
0: social impact type of companies but we've also referred a bunch of startups over to you. Like you okay. actually do kind of pure venture capital-backed startups and things like that,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of our impact-focused companies are also VC-backed companies. Um, so I think, you know, there's the traditional kind of mindset around impact is like nonprofit or small business. And then there's like make money companies and now i think that that barrier is kind of breaking down in some ways and so so yeah i mean we work with traditional tech companies all the time and we work with social impact oriented tech companies so by all means they're scaling and you know seeking money and making money and and all of those sort of things while also you know seeking out the impact
0: When do you start working with a company like what's your perfect situation
1: it's a really good question i mean i would say like our ideal situation is that we get brought in before you know when it's a couple people and an idea because we can really help to be part of the team and from a strategic standpoint um you know doing the legal stuff but really like a strategy oriented sort of uh approach to it we do work with folks who have already had lawyers before or we work alongside other attorneys. So I was mentioning before we got on the call that, uh, you know, we work with some larger tech companies that work with larger firms because that's where they started. And they continue to do financing work and things like that through through their larger firms. Um, And then we do all of their commercial agreements, for example, things that need quicker turnaround. We also do the financing work, and we like to be involved in that. But also understand that you know sometimes uh, folks already have those relationships, and we fit in in a different niche. Yeah, I, I would okay. say the one situation that's that we come across a lot, which is less than ideal for the client. It, it's fine for us; we do it. It works. But the situation where people DIY their incorporation and then come to us when it's time to do something with their company, like raise a round or something like that. I mean, we inevitably end up having to charge them a lot more than if they just started with us. Yeah.
0: I was I was actually going to say that because we prefer our clients to start get involved with a great lawyer like you right when they have the idea and incorporate correctly and set everything up correctly because it actually creates a ton of headache on the tax side too when they're yeah. not set up correctly. And you have all these like – uh, people's uncles running around and aunts saying like you should incorporate as an LLC for your first couple years and then you can switch over to Delaware C Corporation or, and, it, and just the, the cliff notes are if you're going to raise venture capital just do Delaware C Corporation right away but it, it, it's like there's so much bad legal advice out there for early stage founders and you're right like it costs like $10,000 or $20,000 to fix this stuff when it would have been so much easier to do it right away
1: yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think I think there's also a misconception about an LLC being so much more simple and easier to run or something like that than a corporation. Which, <laughs> totally. Which in it's actually worse. Like, like you have to do the K-1s. Yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, yeah, especially from a tax perspective, it's much more complicated. But from a legal perspective, too, I mean, operating agreements come in every shape and size that you can imagine, and there's nothing standard about them. Um, whereas corporations are, are pretty standardized and like by design. So, I mean, an LLC fits when it fits, but it, it's it's like, yeah, I mean, that's the exact advice we give people. If you're looking to raise money from institutional investors, just set up the company how you ultimately want it to be. Don't do not do something in the interim which is just going to cause headaches and have to do other phases of legal work. Like, by all means, we'll do the legal work. But, you know, you you don't need to do a conversion six months from now from an LLC to a corporation. Ugh, just set up as a corporation. Such a mess, yeah. And there's yeah, it's also, one of those things
0: where you – it's kind of like, well – it has to be done and you're not going to turn away that work even though it's actually not that exciting work it's like actually i we find it like there's so much minutiae involved in that and in, in those conversions on the tax side we we actually hate it ourselves it's not fun for us to do even though it is it is expensive or lucrative i guess
1: yeah yeah absolutely i mean i'd rather i'd rather I always say, you know, we we think of ourselves as as builders, not as, you know, the people that have to solve all of the the mess ups that happen. We do that. Obviously, that's part of building is finding the mistakes in building. But if we can just continue to move in the direction that the client wants to go, it's a it's a better experience for them as well as us. I mean, we we don't really do litigation work for that exact reason, you know? Like we want to be the attorneys that people go to and they're excited to work with to build towards their goal as opposed to, you know, having a having to figure out everything that they did wrong. Yeah. And of course, that's part of it too, but are there any other
0: like frequently early frequent early stage mistakes that you see when clients come to you like, you know, what it, maybe it's their commercial agreements or something like that, but like what uh, what other things do you see?
1: Well, at an early stage, I think there's you know setting up as the wrong entity type or the wrong entity location. So they're you know similar to the misconception that an LLC is so much easier than a corporation. People think that a California corporation is so much cheaper than a Delaware corporation or something like that, and that's just not the case. I mean, if you incorporate in Delaware, you pay Delaware's franchise tax and have to do their annual report, but otherwise, it's basically the same. In, Which is
0: like 400 bucks yeah. for early-stage companies. It's
1: nothing. Exactly, right? yeah.
0: exactly. I've, I'm so glad you brought that up because I've seen that mistake made a bunch too. Yeah,
1: yeah you're totally and, right. and that becomes a real legal blunder because in California – if you're if you're set up as an LLC in California, at least there's a statutory mechanism to convert to a Delaware corporation. There's a statute in California's code and there's a statute in Delaware's code that match up that allow you to convert in a statutory manner. If you're a California corporation, there's no statute to convert into a foreign corporation into a Delaware corporation. So you actually have to set up a Delaware corporation and then do like a merger or an acquisition of the prior company. So it's like that's even worse than setting up as an LLC in California. And California's corporations, I mean, you know, sure there it, there are examples of California corporations that have raised money. I'm not going to act like that's not the case, but it's not the preferred mechanism and <laughs> and you know, if I'm an investor, it's like I'm taking a risk on your business model. I don't need to take a risk on all your legal documents and stuff too, you know? That's exactly the reason why
0: not to do that. That's a really good one. Yeah. Well, one of the things we talked about before we hit record was how much work you do with clients on their commercial agreements and contracts, and, mm-hmm. and which makes a ton of sense to I me. Mean, maybe you can kind of outline that part of your practice.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's actually uh, an area that I really enjoy. Um, Corpor- and, and corporations are great, and they're a foot in the door, and it helps us to start building relationships, which ultimately lead to other um, aspects of, of, of building, but the commercial agreements are fun because there's a little bit more creativity involved, and we're really able to get to know, and by necessity need to know, what our clients are working on. So. If you are one type of company doing X project versus Y project, it doesn't matter for an incorporation. We're doing the same thing either way. I like to ask because I'm interested, but it really doesn't matter. Um, With a commercial agreement, it really matters because you have to get on your thinking cap and think about the risks that are unique to the product or, or software or service, whatever, that your client is offering. And in addition, there's a lot of opportunity to get to know your clients beyond what they're doing but to get to know them as individuals and understand how risk averse or willing to take risks they are. And so with some clients, for example, they really don't want to take on any risk and they want you to lawyer every aspect of the agreement that that you can. Um, And maybe it's because their product is risky or maybe they're just risk averse. Um, With others, it's like, protect my IP. And other than that, I want a fair shake, but that's it, you know? And so so really getting to know clients in that way is great. And we have some clients that we've worked with, um, one in particular that works with a larger firm on their financings and everything. They've been around for a while, and we do all of their commercial agreements. And basically, whenever they have a new agreement in the pipeline, they're a SaaS company that's enterprise-facing. Whenever they have a new contract that comes into them, they send it to us, and we give them what we call the traffic light analysis, which is basically annotating the agreement. I know what their priorities are in terms of IP, indemnification, issues around data protection, like those sort of things, and I'll give them comments throughout the document that say red, yellow, or green. Red being, you can't agree to this, we have to make a change. Yellow being, this is a judgment call, here are some options, but up to you whether you want to push back. Green being, this is kind of a weird, unique thing in this contract, just be aware of it as you administer it. Yeah. And then from there, they can give me you know, an idea of which, which areas they actually want to make changes on. And that's worked out really well with that client. and. You know with them we've we've negotiated contracts for them with i mean fortune five hundred companies all over the country and all over the world um, and it's been a really fun experience with that because it's like I'll be on the call with with six attorneys for the counterparty, and I'm there telling them what to do on different things and it's it's just a it's a fun uh, back and forth and some of these you know customers are all over the world, so for this client I've negotiated contracts. In Singapore and Australia and Mexico and Europe and right now doing one in Hong Kong and basically you know we we can work and even though we're a small firm we obviously don't have offices in Hong Kong and so I I can identify an attorney who is licensed in Hong Kong and loop them in contract with them and and you know get a sense of their specific legal requirements locally there and kind of tag-team it and so the commercial agreements thing has been a really good one
0: I love how you Take the kind of risk tolerance of your clients. I think that's so smart. It reminded me of kind of the Betterment, um, these auto robo-advisors, how they make you go through like an investing questionnaire to figure yeah. out how risk averse you are. Yeah, exactly. I think that's brilliant. Like, I love how you do that because you're exactly right. There's different people have different risk tolerances, especially for legal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the, the more advanced and bigger you get, the less tolerance you have for risk yeah. and so as your clients also change, you're probably sitting there doing like a, a, a re-up every couple of years and doing a quick meeting and see like, Hey, now that you've raised $50 million in capital, are you guys, right. you know, okay with the old shoot from the hip way of doing these contracts or do you want to button it down a little bit more? Yeah, that's, that's exactly
1: that, right. That's exactly I, right. And, and you know, it's, it's something that takes time with clients too. You know, it's, it's like when I first started with this client, that I mentioned, they they had just fired two different rounds of commercial agreement attorneys because they weren't listening to them in terms of their risk tolerance. They're like, our software is not risky. It's not going to cause physical injury or death. So like, if we have to agree to indemnify the customer for physical injuries that are caused by our software, that's fine because it's just never gonna arise. Yeah. And the, the attorneys that they had worked with before just wouldn't listen to them on that and just wouldn't stop lawyering. <laughs> How do you deal with,
0: okay, this is something we have where yeah. we'll have um, like oftentimes the CEO in the early days is um not super organized and doesn't give us kind of all the information or makes judgment calls based on costs maybe versus thoroughness things like that and then we have people coming into the organization when they're like a 20 or 30 or 40 person company who are like why did you do it this way you should have done it x y and z and this doesn't happen all the time but like we, we have like, we'll be like, well, the CEO, let me show you some emails. This is what the CEO wanted us to do, right? Uh-huh. You know, and of course we're always going to do it on a gap basis and all that kind of stuff, but like there's, how do you deal with the changing risk tolerances of not just the CEO, but like new entrance into the, into your inner, like I'm assuming eventually they hire a general counsel or something like that, or maybe a VP of sales that you're interacting with on these contracts. Mm-hmm. and you have to, you have a different bar, higher or lower than previously with the CEO.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's exactly, it's, it's what you said earlier, it's checking in with them over time, and, and like with this client, they did hire, um, there's been changes in like the head of sales over time, And they've also had new executives come in at different times. And when there's, you know, potential for acquisitions or something like that, you tend to get a real tightening up of what's going on. Um, And so, I mean it's yeah, it's just about communication and I think I think that that's the key to everything that we do and I think I mean probably beyond what we do it's any professional services, but really any sort of business is just communication and making sure that you understand uh, the goals of, of whoever you're working with in our case with our clients and and that you're tailoring your work to what they're doing and how they want to approach it and not, not just being like, okay, you aren't risk-averse, you risk you're willing to have a, a high tolerance for risk, so that doesn't mean that I'm just going to skip over everything in the contract. I'll still mention it and just make sure that you're informed about it, but I know that this one's a red instead, yeah. of, a, instead of a yellow for you, just based on our past interaction. So yeah, yeah. I think it's just checking in a lot and communicating a lot.
0: The other thing we've kind of learned is through experience, we, we push back on anything on the border super hard now because we've had a bunch of companies that like for, for better or worse, you probably see this too. Like they don't, they, they hope someday to be acquired, but they never, and it's never sunk in that that will actually happen. Mm-hmm. And then like all of a sudden it, ha- it starts happening and there's some of their shortcut calls Come back to bite them in the forms of extended due diligence or da 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 da. And so now we're able to really push back hard on the founders that in the early stage and be like, no, 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 we have to do it this way. We're mandating we do it this way. We only do it the right way mm. because we don't want to find you, we, we're, we're protecting you. We just don't want you to find yourself in a position where you regret this two years from now or three years from now. Right.
1: And even when you do that, they go renegade sometimes. Right. And and, the, and they'll do their own thing. Like you, all you can do is provide information and say like, no, this is how we need to do it. And then they may just yeah. go do it on their own. You know,
0: we actually have, we have a secret tool, which is the audit tools in QuickBooks, Bill.com, Expensify. So we actually can see when they're in the books, right. doing stuff like exactly what you're talking right. about. And then we have these uh, very pathetic, uh, chastising emails that we send them that say, <laughs> please don't make any changes without telling us. And, da, 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 da. and then it's like right. in the cookie jar, but you're, t- you're totally right. right. So the other, on the commercial agreement stuff for your practice, it seems like there's a huge opportunity for you guys because I'm assuming you know your price points are very attractive relative to some of the the bigger Silicon Valley firms
1: yeah absolutely and beyond beyond the price point, I think that the um, ability to turn things around quickly i mean that's, that's a something great point. that's something you hear about a lot, and commercial agreements and these sort of things come and go I mean opportunities the door opens and then it closes, yeah. you know, and so you really have to get things done quickly. We actually just uh, onboarded a new company today that had been working with another attorney for a few weeks, but they just weren't getting the turnaround that they needed. And, like, they just had a Kickstarter campaign where they raised about a thousand times what they planned to raise. Wow. And so they're, like, blowing up, you know, and they're like, we need this now. And, and so it was like, you know, we'll make time, we'll make it work, and, and uh, bring on the personnel to make it work. And, and yeah, I mean, I, so I think, I think the price point combined with the communication you know, making sure that you're understanding what your clients are actually looking for and the timing issues make us a good fit for, for commercial yeah. agreements for sure.
0: I, I think you're right. Emphasizing the, the time and turnaround is so important because you do see deals go away. Yeah. Or in the case of a fundraising, the VCs get, you know, it just gets a little weird or, or you, you drag it out of the partnership because deals aren't done and people are wondering what's going on. So, yeah, you're totally right. It's not just about cost. It's about yeah how responsive you are. Also, just like people like working with responsive people. It just makes the flow. It it allows you to get stuff done. It's not about necessarily losing deals sometimes. It's more about just getting stuff done so that you can clear it off your plate.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And is it
0: like a lot of... like? Are you doing a lot of SaaS contracts or what kinds of stuff do you do?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of SaaS contracts. It's a lot of SaaS contracts. It's also... Um, kind of related, like API licensing type things. Um, There's other contracts that we do that are really unique too. So for example, a platform that we work with has a, they kind of work with three different constituents. They work with Nonprofits that benefit from all of the revenue that comes in on the platform They work with corporate partners and then they also work with end-users who use the app And so we do the contracts that go in all those different directions and kind of you know figure out how they all relate to each other There's also like combination of hardware and software licensing or hardware purchase with software uh, licensing yeah. built-in yeah. So like IOT type things. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the full range and then and then it's also I mean It's also like employment agreements and independent contractor agreements and settlement agreements and all those sort of things as well but those are less of less of recurring things generally it tends to be more on the commercial agreements yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. good
0: for you Mm -hmm. and then you know we were talking about other things uh, before we got on the call and it it sounds like you're doing a ton of work on the gpdr stuff
1: yeah yeah so so it's it's a whole new whole new set of regulations coming out of Europe. And it's it's really interesting, the timing of it with everything that's going on in the media around uh, data protection and privacy in the U.S. Um, you hear Mark Zuckerberg testing before Congress saying, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys start passing privacy legislation. And for the first time, he sounded like he may actually support that, you know, which is... A PR thing, maybe, but it's uh, but it's, it's just interesting. You know, it's a really interesting area of the law, and Europe cares about it a lot more than the U.S. does, and so it's this whole new set of regulations around data protection, and it applies to anybody that's collecting personal data. Which is defined broader than how we define personally identifiable information, personal data from individuals in the European economic area. So it's it's a really broad set of regulations, and we're um, we're working with a bunch of our clients to get in compliance with GDPR. the The date for uh, when it becomes uh, live is May 25th, but there's been a lot of media saying that the regulators are not ready to enforce it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, I have a feeling
0: I, it's going to get postponed like six months, but yeah, that you yeah. don't want to you want to postpone it really close to the date if you're the regulators cause so everyone takes it seriously. Right? Exactly. But, exactly. Yeah.
1: And, and I mean, they're not going to have capacity to enforce against, all of our clients (laughs) you know it's like they're they're going to be going after larger clients to start uh, or larger larger companies to start and maybe maybe a few small ones to kind of make a point but i mean it doesn't take away from from the requirement that all of our clients get in compliance with it especially when they have commercial agreements that where they represent and warrant that they're in compliance with data protection laws. Yeah, yeah. that's
0: the big one, right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. All those all those contracts are going to start requiring that. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Totally and right. it's
1: this really complex sort of analysis. I mean, it's, it's, it's just different than how the U.S. does privacy. US, the U.S. has kind of a hodgepodge of different regulations, but no centralized uh, regulatory regime for privacy. So there's child protection data issues. There's HIPAA, for health data and then there's like financial privacy regulations but there's no overarching privacy laws and then there's also California has some and other states have some but it's really this hodgepodge in Europe it's this whole analysis around whether you're the controller of the data or the processor of the data and a lot of our companies are kind of uh, can serve both roles, you know, they're processing data on behalf of their enterprise customers. But then they also use the data for some of their own purposes, like improving their service or doing marketing or whatever. And that makes them also a controller. So then it's figuring out the, the requirements for each of them. So it's an interesting yeah. area. That's awesome. Good for you.
0: Well, and, and we got a few more minutes here. Um, what's it like starting your own professional services firm, good and bad? like. Like if you had to do it all over again, would you do it? What have you learned? What's fun? What's tough about it?
1: I would definitely do it all again. I was I was actually out to lunch with a client of mine uh, today and talking about it and um, You know in in the legal industry there's this there's this idea that you either make money or you have an impact and in either case you're going to be miserable because you work too much and for us, you know, we're, we are we're just kind of aren't accepting that dichotomy. It's kind of like, I think I think we have the opportunity to do really well for ourselves while also having a big impact and balancing a lifestyle. I mean, I have a, a one-year-old son and I spend a lot of time with him and it's great. And so, um, you know, running my own company is awesome and I, I really enjoy it and I think Um, it helps a lot when we're servicing our clients because they look across the table or look across the video chat or whatever it is and see somebody else who started a company. They see an entrepreneur there um, as opposed to just uh, another lawyer who um, has no real context of what it's like to actually start a company. Um, So I've really enjoyed it. And I mean, I, I think that you know, what we do really well is communicate. I, I keep emphasizing that, but I think it's just really, really important. And I think that that's the biggest thing for a professional services company is just being able to communicate in a very clear and uh, and also friendly manner.
0: I, your point mm-hmm. about kind of, you didn't use this word, but mm-hmm. empathy is a really important one. Like we, I get the same vibe from you as you do, where we're talking to founders and like, you can kind of look look them in the eye, and they look you in the eye, and you know you yeah. each know how hard it is and what you're doing, and where all the, the the late nights and and headaches and all that kind of stuff, and but you but you still enjoy it and still do it, and it does form this really cool bond, you know, yeah. especially when times are tough for them. I find that that's actually really valuable because. I can trot out some stories from our 2015 or 2016 years that were
1: mm-hmm, chal- mm-hmm. like
0: really challenging. and They were tough, you know, and, and it helps pick them up a little bit. Cause they see, they're like, Oh, you're actually successful now. You actually know what you're doing and are bigger. So you got through those tough times. I'm going to get through those tough times too. Yeah. And it, it gives them a little bit of a pickup yeah um, so I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying yeah
1: I'd say the big difference between starting a professional services company and the startup of companies that we work with that our clients are doing is is the the pace of scaling I mean it's just different you know it's like they are seeking outside capital to really push their their product to go you know and we are like slowly building and I think I think I think that there's lessons that go in both directions there, you know, and actually I think that we probably do a lot more productizing of our work than most law firms do because we work with companies that do that, you know?
0: And we do the same thing. That's a great observation. We do, we try to do that for everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, And also I think the other thing is not having a board of directors to Mm -hmm. answer to. There's probably some ways where it's it's detrimental, like you probably could get some good advice or things like that. But I do find that... um, it helps you. It helps you prioritize and do things the right way and do the things you want to do, um, versus doing it for the board's sake or doing it for appearances' sake. That some of our some of our companies can't yeah. really have to do. So I'm I'm with you. Like not having that overhead is is actually really nice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, by all means, we seek out mentorship from others, but it's like non-binding mentorship <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> non-binding you can't fire me mentorship. exactly exactly uh, i love it well ryan this has been awesome so maybe you can tell everyone where they can find you and spz legal
1: great yeah thanks for the opportunity scott i really oh, my really pleasure appreciate it. my pleasure um and appreciate all the work that you've sent our way as well um, of course so you can find us at spzlegal.com um, we have a, a big startup FAQ page, which has a lot of articles on common uh, issues that startups find, and so feel free to poke around there. Uh, you can also reach out to us at info at or you can reach out to me directly, ryan at spzlegal.com. And yeah, we do the full range of kind of general counsel services for startups, incorporations, financings, commercial agreements, trademark, you name it. You
0: guys are awesome. I refer you constantly. You're great people. The clients all love you. So all you got to do is keep doing what you're doing. Cool. It's, it's kind of that simple. Cool. Thanks, Scott. Really appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks, thanks for coming on, Ryan. Okay. Appreciate yeah. it.